Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with another review. I'm so excited to get into this one. I love the last um, review I did of Roger Glover's Elements Plus, and now I'm doing his album Mask, which came out in June of 1984. So uh, interestingly, there's eight songs on here, and this was back when, you know, it wasn't expected that you were going to cram fill every available minute with music. We were happy to pay our tenor so dollars for an album and get eight or nine songs. And uh, it was just the way things were back then. And now, of course, once CDs started coming out, then it was how many, how much can we cram on there? We got, uh, you know, 76 minutes. Great. Let's get 75 and a half minutes of music on that CD. Uh, and, you know, and then they got up to 80, what, 84 or whatever it was. Um, and then in the digital world, it's kind of unlimited, right? You could You could make a digital album as long as you wanted to. You could put 200 songs on it if you wanted. Um, You'd have some limitations when it came to pressing an LP or CDs. You'd have to do them as a box set. But you know what? Um, It's kind of crazy. So I kind of like going back to the idea of just having a handful of songs. But I think the problem is that to do it nowadays, you put an album, there's only eight songs or nine songs. I think people are going to feel like they're not getting bang for their buck, no matter how good the songs are, right? If you're used to getting 14 to 16 songs, for your $9.99 download on iTunes. And somebody comes to you and says, hey, I got a brand new album out. I'd love if you check it out. And you look at it and it's nine songs for the same $9.99. You're going to be like, that's that's kind of expensive. You know, I'm really not getting that much out of it. It's really interesting how we have become programmed. And I didn't realize until a couple of years ago how long, at least in my life, this has been going on. So I think about when I was a kid, going to the grocery store with my mom, right? So we would go into Chatham's grocery store in Mount Clemens, Michigan. It's no longer there. I think it's a movie theater now. Um, But we would go in and there would be this lady with a a tray. And on that tray would be little cubes of cheese or cubes of meat uh, attached to a toothpick. And they would be handing out samples that are free to try and entice you to buy whatever the new product is or whatever they're doing a special on, whatever they had an overstock of. So here you get your little cube. We'll just say a nice little cube of cheese. And you're like, wow, that's really tasty cheese. How much is it? And they're like $6.99 a pound. You're like, well, fuck, I just got it for free. Now it doesn't taste so good because now I have to pay for it. Now for me to enjoy it, for me to put that back in my mouth, I have to pony up something. So now all of a sudden it isn't as good as I thought it was because it's a whole different deal, Right. Um, kind of like a bait and switch, except that, you know, it's very obvious what they're doing. So it really changes our perception of the value of what we're spending our money on. And I realized that looking at albums from back in the day, today as a new purchase or to try and, and tell somebody, hey, you should really get this album. It's a great rock and roll album. I think you'd love it. And I'm like, yeah, there's only like eight songs. I'm not paying 10 bucks for that. Right. Because everything has changed so much. And, you know, aside from the value of the dollar or, you know, whatever uh, currency of the country that you're you're listening from, um, aside from that, just the concept of the number of songs versus the amount of money that you spend for the album really seems to vary. If I can get 16 pieces of candy for a dollar versus eight pieces of candy for a dollar, where's my money better spent? Well, it depends on what candy I like more, right? But we tend not to think of that. We tend to think of value. 16 pieces of candy is twice as good as eight pieces of candy. 
even if I like the eight pieces of candy better. It's really weird what's been done to us. I've watched videos on how um, we're we're programmed with imagery and all that. I remember uh, one that my brother showed me years ago that I'm still kind of bamboozled by. So I'll tell you real quick, the basic premise is this company wants to try an experiment. They fly three marketing agencies out from different parts of the country. They have a car sent from their office to the airport to pick up each advertising agency and they take all three of them along the same route. Each advertising agency is brought in at different times, so none of them meet each other, right? They're all given the same pitch. Here's what we're looking for in a marketing campaign. Here's what the product is, and here's what we're looking for in the way of of selling it. So the advertising agency's job is then to come up with a campaign. Here's how we think we could best sell your product. And interestingly, all three of the agencies came up with an extremely similar program with similar imagery, similar catchphrases, all of it. And then they revealed that along the path from the airport to their office, they drove them by specific things that they wanted them to see in their peripheral vision to put those images in their head and see if those images would then guide them to what they would create. So thinking about The marketing agency, the people that normally try to put images in our head, being duped by putting images in their head, I mean, what's our chance as a consumer, right? You see, uh, you know, a, a cartoon tiger immediately. What do you want? You want cereal, right? You see a camel, you think about a cigarette. It's all programmed. Well, I mean, based on how old you are and what your experiences are in the world. Um, but for me, like Tony, the tiger, Immediately, I want sweet, sweet, crunchy cereal. You know, I see a camel, I think about cigarettes, I don't even smoke. But that's what's been programmed into me from all the marketing I've seen over the years. Now, I'm in my 50s now, I'm, I'm 50. So um, I have a long history of, of images being related to certain things. I mean, I think about, um, you know, Tony the Tiger from when I was a little kid. So figure, you know, 45 years of me associating that tiger with that cereal, pretty easy to make that connection now. But for somebody who's five years old today, you know, let's say born in 2018, what is their association with a cartoon tiger or a toucan? You know, do they immediately want Fruit Loops? I don't know. It all depends on those experiences, but they play on the percentages, right? So anyway, totally off the subject. I know I'm like almost seven minutes in and I haven't really talked about the album yet, but I do find it interesting thinking that this album only has eight songs on it when I'm so used to these days. Um, so many more. And so many of the albums I, I love only have eight or nine songs. It's really not out of character for me. But as I was thinking about like telling somebody today, you should get this album. I wonder if it's a harder sell now because of that, because uh, only a handful of songs seems to be devalued. Like maybe we should sell those albums at $4.99 on digital download. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but... I can tell you that it does seem to have an impact on our psyche. It really does. Now, um, this album, incidentally, is not available on iTunes. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, I do have a link in the show notes where you can get it on Amazon. You can also find it, um, I think I got it on Discogs, I believe it was. Um, and I tried to render it from the vinyl, but unfortunately I couldn't because I was having a problem with my system. So thank you, Nate, for the assist. I appreciate it. 
Um, yeah, interesting that it's not available for download. So that there's a lot of reasons that that could be depending on the distributor, who has the current rights, all kinds of things. Um, I want you to get into to touching the surface of that. But what I will get into is the album. Let's talk about the album cover. So this is a really unique, very colorful 80s style album cover, I would say. Um, there are a series of shots of the same mask. It kind of reminds me of my dad's stamp book. Like he would get, he collected stamps from all over the world, right? And he would get like multiple um, uh, versions of the same stamp. Like some some countries would have the same image, but they would do that stamp in different colors, which would mean like a different value or a different year or whatever. But like the page would just be filled with that same image in different colors. And this is kind of the same thing. It's four across, four down, different shades and different lightings of this one mask. And at first, I used to think that it was like one of those uh, Korean masks or almost like the, the Terracotta Army. But as I've gotten to know the album cover a little bit better, I, I realize it doesn't look like that at all. It really looks a lot more tribal. And the giveaway for me is the eyes because you actually see like eyeballs. So that, um, that goes more towards the, the tribal thing to me. The, the mask is kind of at an angle, so you're not really looking at it straight on. Uh, which certainly gave them more options for lighting and things like that. But it's multiple colors, different amounts of lighting and, and you know, uh, reflection on the mask. But it's really cool. A, a very bright uh, looking album cover. And then Roger Glover mask is written in yellow at the top. You don't see a lot of yellow um, words these days. At least I don't. Um, but maybe I'm not paying enough attention. I don't know. It struck me as odd because I haven't seen a whole lot of that. But then again, you know, it's it's all in what you pay attention to. And these days... I kind of think I'm in a routine where I just, I go into the store. I know the things I want. I just go to get those things, which is why like once or twice a year, they'll rearrange an entire grocery store because of people like me who don't really window shop. Like I don't look up and down the aisles. I just go right to what I want. And um, they try to get me to see things that I wouldn't normally see searching for the things I would normally get since they're not where I'm used to them being. So uh, I guess I'm one of the, reasons that you guys have to put up with that. So I'm sorry, but this is a fantastic album. Uh, like I said, it's, it's a very, um, eighties and I love the sound of it. Absolutely love the sound of it. The first song is called divided world. This is a really fun song, a great album opener. It's a, you know, good up-tempo number. I love the feel of it, though. The, the verse and the chorus feels so good. Uh, this is really, as I recall, the first time I really heard Roger Glover sing. 
And uh, it's him on vocals and bass through the whole album. He also plays on some other instruments throughout the album, and I'll talk about those as we go. The first three tracks also feature David Rosenthal on keyboards, who Roger was playing with for the last couple of albums in Rainbow, uh, Straight Between the Eyes, and Ben Out of Shape. And Chuck Berge plays drums on all the songs, which is cool. He was also on Rainbow's Bent Out of Shape uh, album. I saw him when uh, a band I was running sound and lights for, uh, Zen Radio, opened for Blue Oyster Cult down at the Chief Theater in Pueblo, Colorado. Did not get to meet Chuck, but he played a hell of a show, I will say. Very talented drummer. Um, I really, I think my favorite um, Chuck Berge song with Rainbow was either... The drums on Stranded, which I thought were great. I love the fills on that. Uh, they, they really created a mood for that song. And also uh, the live version of Difficult to Cure from the final vinyl album. I just loved his drumming on that one. And the drum sounds a uh, really cool album. Roger did some great work on that one too. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is a fun track. It's really nice to hear Roger sing. And I think he's got a really good voice for this kind of stuff. Definitely very 80s feel. Absolutely. Um, from the production to the the sounds, the synthesizers and all that, the electronic percussion sounds that we're going to hear on this album, all of that. Um, but, you know, the only complaint I have about this song is I would like just a skosh more vocals in the mix. I think it could use just a little bit more. But apart from that, I think the the mix is fantastic. And it's just a fun song. You know, I, that's what I have to say about the whole album. I haven't listened to it in a while but as I recall, um, it's just uh, just a fun album, like like what I loved about the 80s. So let's dig into our next song. This one is called Getting Stranger. Uh, again, we have David Rosenthal on keyboards on this one. And also, uh, Roger plays an Ovation acoustic guitar. Uh, working in the music stores, I saw a lot of Ovations come and go. Very, very popular acoustic guitar. Let's check it out. Now, I know when I do these uh, reviews by myself, I, I always fade uh, the clip down to zero. But uh, both songs so far have actually faded out, which was a, a thing that was another very common trait in the 80s for songs to just kind of play into the sunset. Um, this one's really cool. I don't know if that's within Roger's natural range or if that's falsetto, but I really like the sound of that. I think it works well with his voice. You know, this is an interesting thing because I think that a song like this would have fit in well with a band like Split Ends, uh, maybe A Flock of Seagulls. Uh, I did see that Gene Roussel, R-O-U-S-S-E-L, played synthesizer on this track, as well as David Rosenthal playing keyboards. So I'm not sure who uh, exactly did what, but... Um, yeah, very cool stuff. Dave Gallus, by the way, plays guitar on all tracks and assisting on guitar on this one was Joe Jammer. Uh, don't know the difference between who did what. All I know is that they're present 
on the tracks. Um, but yeah, this is a pretty cool one, I have to say. Um, again, just another great 80s feel. I could see this one have been released as a single uh, video on MTV, the whole shebang. I mean, it's got the same standards and quality as, as any of the other 80s hits I can think of. So yeah, a great song for the time. And it's weird, like for you guys that aren't used to 80s music that might be listening, this kind of music might seem strange or dated. But let me tell you, for somebody who was a big music fan in 1984, um, I think I was kind of, I want to say I was kind of done with MTV by then. Um, I don't think I watched it as much. Like the first summer MTV was out, I was glued to that television set. You know, and of course we had the summer off from school. And then when we went back to school, I was still, you know, I would come home, but I wouldn't, wouldn't be glued to it as much as I was. By then I was kind of back to playing a lot of video games. We would like watch the rocket take off at the beginning of the hour, hear the three videos that they guaranteed would be played, see what the first song was that was played after the rocket, and then maybe like play games for half hour or whatever, and then flip back to MTV. We couldn't pause games back in those days because you didn't have that ability. So it was either, you know, you build up enough guys to where you could outlive the time you were watching MTV or you just had to start over or play a different game afterwards. Um, but yeah, this this definitely would have been uh, right there in that wheelhouse of, of 80s music. And I, I think uh, I, I'm even though I didn't know this album when I was that age, which would have like 84, I was 12. So or about to turn 12, I should say, because if this came out in June, my birthday's in July. So I would have been about to be 12. But this uh, this would have been right up there on my playlist, I think, with everything else. Had I been exposed to this at that time, I wouldn't have thought it was odd or out, you know, um, didn't fit in or anything with the times, because really everything hits the that sound and that era. So uh, our next song up is called it's the title track. It's called The Mask. Uh, interestingly, Roger also plays percussion on the next three songs, which, uh, which is fun. Uh, Joe Jammer is back assisting on guitar on this track as well. We also have, uh, David Rosenthal on keys and Jean or Jean, Jean, I'll say Jean Roussel. That sounds French, um, back on synthesizer. So I don't know. Um, you know, again, it's like, who's doing what I have no idea. Uh, there's a lot of different backing vocalists um, that switch off between the songs. Mostly it looks like track eight. We've got uh, Denise Brooks and Kim Romano. That is going to be the final song. Don't look down. I'll probably refresh that when we get back to it. Um, Craig Brooks does a lot of backing vocals. Carrie looks like Carrie McGargle does backing vocals on one of the songs. Uh, Denise and Kim. We have Charlie Deschant on saxophones, tracks five to seven. Uh, lots of people involved in the making of this album because, you know, we had MIDI, uh, some extent of it. You could uh, do some programming and that kind of stuff. King, Keith Emerson had been doing that, but uh, not say um, like Roger likes live players, you know, as, as well. He should. If you can get them, you get them. And for this track, we have uh, Mark Canise also providing some electronic drums. And uh, later on, we've got uh, Nick Bologna. Uh, on percussion and dub on track six, which is You're So Remote. So uh, if I don't scroll back down to his name, uh, sorry, Nick, but I'll try to remember to get back to you when we get to track six. For now, let's check out The Mask.
This is a pretty interesting track. It's over just over seven and a half minutes, and it's mostly just kind of a jam uh, at the end. Um, there's a little bit of a, almost tribal sounding vocals. I'm not sure if that's coming from Roger or Craig or a combination of the two. It's a fun song, though. Um, I like the idea of the the story, you know, being like, uh, I can't really tell who you are because you're wearing a mask, and now I'm wearing the mask, and uh, that's a pretty neat concept. Um, I liked it. I liked it. It was a lot of fun. Really good musically, too. Uh, great percussion. Just kind of went on and on at the end, which, uh, you know, Roger, as a producer, this one kind of surprises me that he would let it go so long. But you know what? Sometimes that's what you do. Maybe it was written for uh, another purpose. I know it was released as a single, so there there may have been like a short uh, radio mix and then the regular, uh, you know, extended long version on the album. I'm not sure. But in any case, it's a cool song. And honestly, even though it's seven and a half minutes, I could just sit there and listen to it. It's really enjoyable. It's it's just a fun musical track. Our next song uh, was released, I think it's a B-side, and this is called Fake It. So on this track, we also have uh, Roger again playing percussion. We also have him playing synthesizer on this one, uh, which is uh, interesting how they are trading off. I'm not sure how that was chosen. Uh, Craig Brooks on backing vocals, of course. And, uh, you know, I I really like the feel of this one. And you kind of really see some of the influences that we'll get eventually on Accidentally on Purpose, which I recently covered with Rich Shaler the uh the reggae sort of feel to it that kind of you know we're on the the island on the beach on a cruise whatever it is and uh that's for my very americanized self who's never been on an island before <laughs> but my impression of island music i really like the the keyboard solo i like the guitar solo it was kind of like a um uh like a modern sounding rockabilly solo a lot of fun uh but at a slower tempo but a really cool song it's just got a nice smooth feel to the whole thing Another one that I could just, you know, it could be a couple of minutes longer and I would sit there and just enjoy it repeating and carrying out with the, you know, whether it's switching back and forth between a keyboard or a guitar solo or one or the other, or even just playing the riff. Um, just a just a nice, enjoyable song to listen to. Really cool stuff. Um, our next song is called Dancing Again. This would be the first song on side two. And on this one, uh, again, we have Roger on percussion. We also have him on piano on this track. 
Um, oh, and on the last track, uh, Roger played uh, timbales as well. But uh, on this one, he's playing piano because why not? We got Craig Brooks back on backing vocals. And then we've got uh, Charlie Deschamps on uh, saxophone for the next uh, for this track in the next two. So that should be uh, that should be pretty cool. So we'll see how this one sounds. Here it is. Dancing again. got Roger pounding away on that piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. You got killer saxophone work by Charlie Charlie Deschamps. A really killer track, I have to say. Really energetic. What's kind of surprising, uh, you know, just thinking about Chuck Berge and what he's capable of, but you get kind of the same thing from Cozy Powell on certain albums where the guy could do so much more and he's really laying back and really just being a solid foundation, which for this style of music is not unheard of. Um, another song that really kind of reminds me of Split Ends, something else that I feel that would have been in their wheelhouse. And they certainly could have uh, you know, done a version of this song or Roger could have written it for them or for himself and they could have done a cover, whatever. Um, definitely feels like their wheelhouse. But uh, a really cool track. Very fun, very energetic. I really enjoyed it. And now we're on to the sixth song. This one's called You're So Remote. Interesting title. Very interesting title. And on this one, uh, we've got Roger back on synthesizer. We have uh, Katie McGarrigal on backing vocals. We have Charlie Deschamps back on saxophone. We still have Dave Gellis on guitars because he plays on all the tracks. We have uh, David Rosenthal back on synthesizer. We also have uh, Nick Blagona on percussion. Uh, it's listed as percussion and dub. So I don't know if that means he dubbed some percussion in on this track. I'm going to guess that's what it means. But in any case, he's on it. He also uh, mixed the album, too, along with Roger. And I have to wonder, too, and, and I know that when I started playing bass, I was very timid about pushing the bass up in the mix because I wasn't I was confident enough in my playing to leave the recording in there and not like sub it on a synthesizer. But I wasn't confident enough to really push it up into the mix. And I wonder if that's why I feel like the vocals are just a little bit in the background. Maybe Roger wasn't comfortable pushing them up in the mix um, as much as he might have on, say, a Rainbow album or a Deep Purple album. Very interesting. Uh, Totally my speculation. I don't have anything official on that. But I have to wonder if there might not have been an element of that. (laughs) No pun intended. Anyway, let's check it out. Here is... uh, Yeah, I should do a podcast. Here it is. You're so remote.
I'm a little torn on this one. If if I had, I don't even know what keywords I would use to categorize this song. I mean, it does still have a bit of that reggae feel, but it's also kind of like an easy listening song. Um, I don't know. There's like too many categories these days. But anyway, I really enjoyed it. It did seem uh, very much like Mask did. It just kind of seemed to go on uh, with the same part repeating through the end. Uh, really did like the sax work on this one. I thought the vocals, I thought Roger and Kate sang very well together. I really like their combination of voices. And I really like the part that they were singing to. It's very, very nice. This is just a nice, gentle song, has a really good feel and flow to it. Um, I, I might have to say that this is one of my favorite songs on the album. Even though, like I said, the end is a bit repetitive, it's enjoyable. Like I could just go on and listen to that for a while. I could just have that on and enjoy it maybe while I'm doing other things, you know, even like putting a puzzle together, just something where I don't have to focus on it, but I could just have it in my atmosphere and really enjoy it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I, I really kind of wish that Kate was on more tracks on this now because she's only on this one. And um, I like the way their voices sound together so much. I would like to hear more to be honest. Um, but we don't get that. What we do get is track seven. This one is called Hip Level. And we have Roger back on percussion and synthesizer for this one. Uh, Craig is back on backing vocals. And this is Charlie's uh, last track on saxophone. And of course, Chuck Berge on drums. And of course, uh, Dave Gallus on guitars. So let's give that a spin. say i really like roger singing with a little grit in his voice there you know that's uh that's a different sound it's really cool uh it's a good song there's some really nice sax playing on this one of course uh charlie's really talented sax player uh some great guitars in here too i have to say um nice backing vocals from craig but yeah this is uh this is another one that kind of goes on a little bit long it's uh 17 minutes and 19 seconds and I, I don't really know that I could say it was really warranted. I mean, there wasn't like some, you know, crazy back and forth duo or, you know, amazing solos or anything that would have warranted this song kind of going on that long. Um, there was some good playing in it, don't get me wrong, but I think it really could have been chopped down to like maybe four, four and a half minutes at the most, um, maybe even less than that. And still been a really good song. I like the feel of it, but I wouldn't say that it gripped me in the way that the other ones did, where I'd be willing to, you know, just let it go on and on and on and want to chase it, you know, as it fades out. I would say um, I was more than satisfied quite before the song ended. So this one was a little bit long for me. Still a good song. Um, I really like the, the highlight for me was Roger's voice on this one. 
Um, but I have to say, too, in, in thinking about this from a drummer's perspective, um, kudos to Chuck Berge for his restraint on this album. As a drummer who has the ability to play a lot of really clever and intelligent drum fills and different parts, um, he's really playing straightforward on this album. And I think back to, you know, I had mentioned Cozy Powell earlier thinking back to his work on Down to Earth or uh, by Rainbow or Slide It In by Whitesnake, where you know he was very restrained on those albums. And uh, I, I have to give it up to drummers who can really just lay back and be the foundation and not worry about putting in too many flashy things. I learned how to do this when I was playing in a country band. Had I not had that experience, I don't think I would have ever understood the necessity of sometimes just being the foundation of the song. And um really grateful that I learned that. It, it helped me more than I would have ever thought. It also helped me make my meter a lot stronger, too. Um, so there was that. Anyway, pretty good track. Um, I, I wouldn't skip it, but I might, you know, like halfway through or three quarters through, I might say, OK, enough of that. Let's move on to the next song, uh, which is the last song on the album. It is called Don't Look Down. This one features a, a cavalcade of people. Um, we've got Roger on, of course, lead vocals and bass, not doing uh, any other double duty on this song. Again, we have Craig Brooks on backing vocals, but we also have Denise Brooks on backing vocals. And we also have Kim Romano on backing vocals. So lots of people are going to be on this track. Of course, Dave Gellis still plays guitar on this track, but we also have Joe Jammer joining him for this one. Uh, David Rosenthal is back on keyboards, as is Gene Roussel on synthesizer. And of course, Chuck Berge on drums. So a whole host of people got together to bring you this song. Don't look down. I really like this one. Roger's voice is featured much more prominently, I feel, in this one than the others. And I think it really works. You know, they bring down the uh, melodic synth quite a bit during the verses to accommodate for his voice and not uh, override it like um, like some of the leads have on on the rest of the album. But uh, yeah, I really like it. And, and uh, there's a cool bass part in there. I love the sound he's getting on his bass. Again, I might venture that that's a fretless, but I'm not positive on this one. Not as much as I was on the accidentally on purpose tracks. Um, I think it's possible, but it's hard to say for sure for for me anyway. I've never played a fretless. Um, I'm going to have to get a lot better at bass before I take that on. But uh, a very cool song. This is one that I think will be stuck in my head for quite a while. And I think it's a great album ender. I like the long, slow fade that they give us at the end. 
And um, it's really a good, good classy way to end an album. And I like that there were some additional voices on it and stuff. Um, really cool track. And that is the end of the actual album, guys. But before you go, we actually have one more track. There was a cassette-only track called Unnatural that even when this was re-released on CD does not appear that this track was ever released other than on that cassette. And I found it. And it's called Unnatural, and it goes like this. this song definitely fits on the album. Um, I don't know what the reasoning was that it wasn't put on the album or wasn't re-released with, you know, the reissues. Maybe they couldn't find the original tracks to remix it or, or what, I don't know, could have been record company, so many possibilities, but I won't speculate on that. All I can say is that at the end of the day, it wasn't on any other format, but the cassette, as far as I can find, uh, but it's a cool track. I'm really glad I got to hear it and share it with you guys. It's really energetic. I love that guitar riff. So simple, yet really drives the song. You know, and that's another thing, much like our last song, Don't Look Down, that that's going to be stuck in my head for a while. Uh, I'm sure that over the course of the next day or two, these songs are going to battle back and forth in my brain. And that's okay, because they're both really good songs. So that is the album The Mask by Roger Glover. I hope you guys have enjoyed going through these songs with me. There is some really cool stuff. Um, you know, people talk about whether an album withstands the test of time and all that. I could honestly say that if you just base it on production alone, everything that was recorded in the 60s would not stand up today because the sound is so vastly different. The recording techniques were different. Um, the the writing was different. The instruments were different. The, you know, recording equipment was different. Um, but it really doesn't matter. The test of time really only matters to you as the individual. And I can say, yes, this is a very 80s sounding produced album from writing to the kind of synthesizers they were using to, you know, the, the style of the music, all of that. I could say it's very 80s stylistic. The only thing that matters is, do you enjoy it? Yes or no? If you do, then you listen to it. If you don't, then you don't listen to it. It doesn't matter whether it would hold up today because it's a different world today. Why would we expect something that was written in 1984, 1983 to hold up in 2023? Completely different time. And you're talking so many changes in writing style, instrumentation, um, production, quality of equipment, places to record, available, produce, like all these different things. So really, at the end of the day, the only thing in the world that matters is, 
this piece of art. Do you enjoy it? Yes or no. Would you listen to it again? Will you listen to it again? Yes or no. Pretty simple. But we will be back next week with another show. I look forward to it. I'm not sure quite what it is yet because I'm recording this like way early and uh, God only knows what will happen between tonight and the time this comes out. So in the meantime, you guys have a great week. We'll see you back at the very least next Wednesday for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Cheers. Cheers.